0: Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor, and each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace, the United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peace the Once again, that's peace the podcast.podbean. Dot com. We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe, and now on to the Sacred Story reading. Before we dive into today's Sacred Story reading, I want to give a quick little caveat. This story is one where sexual violence is present and we're going to talk about it honestly and talk about it clearly and this story is not for everyone and so we want to put that at the beginning of this before we dive in in case an adjustment to how you're listening or how you're engaging this may need to take place. This story also does not Uh, portray a high view of women. The ancient Near East was very harmful and painful, and this story um, does not shy away from that harmful treatment of women, and so I wanted to make sure that you are aware of that before we dive in, but I'm going to read now from Genesis 19 verses 1 through 13. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot, and Lot is Abraham's nephew who left with him when Abraham was called by the Lord to go to a place that God was going to show him. So Lot was sitting in the gateway of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. He said, Please, my lords, turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you can rise early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the square. But he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last person, the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. Lot went out of the door to the men, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Look, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they replied, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came here as an alien, and he would play the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near the door to break it down. But the men inside reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the door of the house, both small and great, so that they were unable to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone have you in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. The story of the destruction of Sodom. It's one of the six passages that has historically been used to exclude and to keep out and to harm the LGBTQ plus community. And that's what we're doing in this series. We're calling Retrace. We're examining these six passages that have often been used to exclude people from community. that have been used to shame same-sex relationships and keep people away from dynamic and needed community. And so we're going to retrace these. We're going to examine them. We're going to look at them. We're going to poke and prod and ask questions and wrestle. And we're going to wonder. And then we're also going to ask, well, what could these passages be getting at? Because if during the course of our time studying these passages, we realize maybe they're not the harmful, exclusive passages we've been taught to believe, then maybe what are these passages trying to say? Because as we talked about last week, these sacred scriptures that we have, we trust that God is in them, that God is breathing these ideas, that there is something divine about these words, that there's something meaningful about these words, and it's useful for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness so that good work can be done. So we want to trust, we want to believe, we want to hold on hope that that is true. And so at the end of the day, what is this passage potentially teaching us? What's the good news? What's the good work that can come from a story like this? And normally at the beginning of any sermon, I would tell you a funny little story to kind of get us going. And after reading Genesis 19, 1 through 13, there's no cute way to do this. There's no simple way to dive in. And so instead, what I want to do is I want to break this up into three different sections and they're going to get longer as we go. So section one is going to be a short one, and it's going to be on how has this passage been used to harm or to exclude the LGBTQ community. Section number two is going to be how do we potentially read this differently? Is there a different interpretation of this passage, a different way of understanding it that could illuminate something else that we aren't seeing? And three... What's the good news? Where's the good work? Where is the encouragement? Where's the hope to be found in a passage like this? So first part of it is pretty clear. This passage has a group of men, all of the men of the city that are outside Lot's house, and they know that there are two travelers in the area, and they want to know them. And to know them means to sexually know them. So this passage has historically been used to show people or to make the argument that same-sex relationships caused the destruction of Sodom and that was the sin of Sodom that the sin of Sodom the reason for its destruction was that these men of Sodom wanted to have same-sex sexual relationships. That's what's been the argument. That's what's been Handed to us. And that's how this passage has been often used to exclude people um, as evidence for God not having room or understanding or approving of same sex relationships. Part two is well, what is it? What could it mean? Is there something else that could be going on here? Is there something else that we could understand? And very quickly, if we unpack and read scripture if we dive into the story a little more we can start to see that there are some really clear distinctions and differences right on the surface of the text itself these are not people who are desiring to engage in consensual healthy you know monogamous expressions of intimate committed love this is not what's being portrayed in the story of Sodom. And and that's why, for, for all the credit that should be given, many, many scholars, many conservative scholars, many scholars that still hold a traditional view of marriage would say that the story of Sodom isn't actually one that we should turn to for exclusion. That it's it's probably the easiest one to debunk in a way, because this isn't about consensual relationship this isn't about love relationships this is about something far different these are about people that wanted to express their power and their dominance they wanted to express their control over their city they were using sex as a way to assert their power and their control and so right off the bat we can see in the context of the story that this is something very different than a consensual loving expression of relationship. Uh, This is about power, this is about control, this is about people who are not welcoming of people different from them. They don't want people that are outside their community to have any standing in that community. They barely are tolerating Lot, and they're even threatening him, even though he's done nothing to, uh, to, to do anything to threaten these people, but they are willing to do horrible violence to them, to violate them, in order to show their power and to show their position in the community. The other thing is that if we look outside of the story, the immediate story, the Bible actually has numerous references to the idea of what happened in Sodom and why was there punishment. And it seems on the surface that there was punishment because they were sexually violent, but there's also more going on here. The ancient Near East is an interesting space where God is trying to use the people of Israel, use the the family that comes from Abraham to reshape what it means to be human. And so we're going to be able to extrapolate and look at other passages to see why was Sodom dealt with the way it was? Was it purely because there was a sexual violence, there was sexual sin happening in that community? Or was there maybe something else? And if we look at a couple of these passages, we can see really clearly that there might be something else that God was seeing there's a different issue that God is wanting to deal with so for instance in Ezekiel 16 49 through 50 it says the following it says this was the guilt of your sister Sodom she and her daughters had pride excess of food and prosperous ease but did not aid the poor and the needy they were haughty and did abominable things before me therefore I removed them when I saw it so if we look at this passage in Ezekiel, where Sodom is used and shown as an example of something unhealthy the question is well what did what did the the writer what did the prophet what was god telling the prophet was unhealthy about sodom well it wasn't that they were committing simply sexual violence or sexual sin or it wasn't that they were having same sex relationships it was that they had pride. They had excess of food. They were prosperous and had ease, but they didn't share with the poor and the needy. They were, they were haughty, and they did abominable things with the power that they had, and therefore, there was need for a course correction. And course correction might be a nice way of saying it. So, basically, they didn't share well. They weren't people who welcomed those different from them. They instead did the exact opposite. They didn't just not tolerate people different from them. They actually caused violence and harm and violated people different from them. And therefore, God had to step in and do something different. In the book of Amos chapter 4, we see the prophet speaking to a community about what may happen to them if they don't change their ways. And the threat is actually that God will overthrow you like God did Sodom. So then the question is like, well, what is this community doing that the response is going to be similar to Sodom? Maybe this community had a similar sin to Sodom. Maybe that's why they're being compared to Sodom. They did something similar. They were treating people in a similar way. And so we would expect to see because you have committed sexual violence, because you have been harming people sexually, or because you have desired to have same-sex relationships, God is going to overthrow you like God did Sodom. But actually, what we see in Amos chapter 4 is it says, you who oppress the weak and the needy, I'm going to overthrow you like I did Sodom. So, oppressing the weak and the needy. Those that need care, those that need help, not providing hospitality, not providing care for them, instead using your power for your own violent need for control, your own expression of power, that is the problem. That is the sin being committed. It's not consensual same-sex relationships. It's not even purely just sexual violence. It's oppression of those in need. Those who are considered weak, those who are considered not to have standing in your your community, you are treating them horribly. And then finally, we could even turn to the New Testament where Jesus is going to mention the idea of Sodom. And it's in Luke chapter 10. It's also in the book of Matthew. There's multiple references to this story. And the story is that Jesus has these 72 disciples that he sends out all over the known area of that time that that area of the world and he sends them into various communities and the goal is for them to bring the peace bring the shalom bring the presence the wholeness of healthy relationship to the places they go and offer that peace to be present and then to do things like healing the sick casting out demons to be the presence of the kingdom of god on earth as it is in heaven in these communities And so these 72 disciples are sent out in pairs. There's 36 groups of them, and they go out. And Jesus says, when you come to a place, announce that the peace of God is there. Announce that you are coming with peace. And if people of peace are there to receive you, then let your peace settle on that place and heal the sick, cast out demons, and let it rest there until your work is done. However, if that place rejects you, if they reject you, The peace that you bring, then it will be more tolerable for Sodom than it is for those cities. So the question is, okay, if God is gonna be dealing with these cities harshly because of what they do, well, what is it that what is the problem that they are doing? If it's being compared to Sodom, is it sexual violence? Is it same sex relationships? No. It's that they're rejecting healthy, whole relational health that they are rejecting caring for one another they're rejecting peace coming to their place they want to still operate with a sense of hierarchy and violence and powerful control over others they want to keep expressing that and the idea here is that jesus is saying it'll be worse for them than it was for sodom and so even jesus when he's referencing sodom is not talking about sexual violence He's talking about being inhospitable and not being welcoming when people need rest, when people need peace. And so whether it's looking at the context of the verse itself and seeing that this is not a passage that has anything to do with healthy, uh, monogamous, uh, consensual, same-sex relationships, nothing, nothing about that is taking place in Sodom. So that's not what's being talked about. It's also really clear that what is being done is violence to people, violating people, abusing people. And it's a lack of hospitality for those that are different from you. And we can see that in passages like Ezekiel, Amos, and in what Jesus says in Luke chapter 10. And so if we are saying that what's going on in Sodom is not a critique of healthy, loving expressions of same-sex relationship, then what can we learn from this passage? What what are we supposed to take from this passage? And this is where I think we need to pause for a second and remember that this story of Sodom, this story of Lot welcoming in the two strangers and this all happening and the city being destroyed moments later, this is not just some random story. This is not some random one-off. This story falls into the story of Abraham. And so let's go back for a minute and remind ourselves of who Abraham is. Abraham was called out of his family to follow God, to go to the place where the Lord would show him. And this place was to be a place where God would make Abraham into a great nation, that he would be the father of a great nation, and that this nation would be a blessing to all the other nations, that their goal was to to be a place of refuge, to be a place of peace, to not be a place of violence, to not be a place where there's dynamic uh, hierarchy that 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 like excludes people, but instead is a welcoming place of belonging, that they're called to be a blessing to the world. And because they're called to be a blessing and because they model that, the world will then be blessed and will be able to take on the attitude, take on the, the posture of Israel as a place of peace, and that the world is meant to be more peaceful because we're seeing the example of that in the family of Abraham, in the people of Israel. And so, when we get to chapter 18, which comes directly before the story of Sodom that we just read, we actually see Abraham welcoming the same people, the same strangers to his tent. And so, we read this at the beginning of chapter 18, he, meaning Abraham, looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said." And so what we see is Abraham offering not harm to these men. He's not offering to dominate or to show his power over them. He's not trying to make them seem feel less than. Instead, we see Abraham being hospitable. We see Abraham being a blessing to these three men that are approaching. And so let's just take a look really quickly at what we can learn from how Abraham offers hospitality. The first part is that he instantly shows them respect. He bows low to the ground. And so the question that we have is, how are we seeing other people that come across our path? Are we seeing them as instantly worthy of our respect? Even if they're different from us, even if they vote different from how we vote, even if they prefer things that are different from how what we prefer, are we seeing them as worthy of our respect? Do we see them as someone worthy of love, worthy of care? The second thing is he brings a sense of refreshing. Let me let let water be brought so we can wash your feet. Let me get you some bread to eat so that you can be refreshed. When we meet people, when people come into our community, when they cross our path, we need to be people that are willing to meet their immediate need to find out how can I be a refreshing person Person for them. How can they feel a sense of oh, my needs are taken care of? I don't have to be on guard right now. I mean, how many of us know that in our world today, people spend so much of their time with their guard up. They spend so much of their time with their their fists clenched, uh, their comebacks ready, and they're just they're just. It seems like they're itching for a fight, but really they're waiting for the attack so they can retaliate. And our world just seems to have its dukes up, ready to defend itself, ready to fight back. And so much of what we need to be in the world is a place of refreshing so that people can put their guard down and just be themselves and just allow for space to learn and grow and to and to have places that can be refreshing. And then the final thing, so we have the respect, we have the refreshing, and then finally Abraham offers them rest. Rest yourselves under the tree. Are we a safe place for people? Are they willing to put that guard down? Are they willing to say that even if I don't agree with you, even if we vote differently, even if theologically we don't always align, I feel like I'm safe with you. I feel like you care for me. I feel like I belong, even if we don't always align perfectly. I know that you have my back. I know that you care for me. And now we got to be careful about that because when we're talking about a community that has vulnerable people in it, we all can be vulnerable in different ways or have different experiences that can lead to different forms of vulnerability based on who we are and how we identify and all those different complexities that make us human. We want to make sure that we're not setting ourselves up to be victims to certain forms of harm and certain forms of discrimination. And so those won't be allowed in our community. If someone comes into our community and wants to instantly attack people for who they are, we're not going to tolerate that. That's not We're not going to make room for that. We're still going to love them. We're still going to offer to care for them, try to meet their needs, be a place of refreshing. But we want to be a place of rest. And being a place of rest means we don't have to harm people in order to feel safe here. But that's not what creates safety. Violence, doesn't create peace. Violence creates more violence. And so let's take the violence out of circulation. Let's be a place of rest. And if people can abide by that, if people can can acknowledge that, if they can live with that, then we'll find rest with one another, even in the midst of our differences, even in the midst of our disagreements. And so this passage in chapter 18, that is contrasted with the story of chapter 19, is teaching us about what it means to be a people of hospitality. We see Abraham offering respect and refreshing and rest, and we see Lot doing the very same things with those men that come to the city of Sodom. You know, interestingly, chapter 18 ends with Abraham desiring for blessing to come. Abraham is talking with the third member of this party of three, as the two have gone on to Sodom. They've gone on to meet with Lot and to be to be in the city and, and eventually to destroy it. And the third is left with with Abraham. And 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 many scholars believe that this might be the presence of the Lord, that God is actually manifesting God's self with Abraham in that moment. And so God is there talking with the divine in that moment. And the divine is saying, I'm gonna go, we're gonna go destroy that city. It, it's 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 too. It's too much, it's too hard, it's too painful, it's too violent, it's too its too harmful to people, and it needs to be dealt with. And Abraham says, you know, if there's a hundred good people in the city, will you spare it? And the divine says, yes, if there's a hundred good people, we will spare it. And then well, what about 50? If there are 50 good people, will you spare it? And the answer from the divine is yes, if there are 50, we'll spare it. And then 40, and then 30, and then 20, and then 10, if there are 10 good people, In the city, will you spare the city? And the divine says, yes, if there are 10 people who are good, if there are 10 people who are bringing shalom into the world, who are being hospitable, then we will not destroy the city. But when they get there, there's none. Just Lot and his family, but not a single person of the city. When the text says that all the men were gathered outside the door, it's a way of saying there was not a single person in the city who was offering shalom. And so we see Abraham who knows that his calling is to be blessed, to be a blessing, that that is his job, is to try to bless other communities and to be that place of rest, to be that place of refreshing. He's advocating for Even a a violent, horrible place like Sodom, he's trying to bring about blessing. He's trying to change the mind of the divine. He's trying to change God's mind and to say, don't do this thing. And God is actually open to changing God's mind. The divine is open to a different course of action according to Abraham's pleading, according to Abraham's hope. And so, part of my question for today as we close out this conversation for for this moment, because I hope you continue it, is to say, where in our time, where in our city, where in our spot in human history do we maybe need to say to the divine, don't give up on us yet. Don't give up on this yet. The church looks harmful. It can look Painful, it can look divided, it can look mean and exclusive, and it can look all these ways that are unhealthy. it can advocate for violence, it can be advocating for power in ways that are harmful to to society, harmful to culture, harmful to the least of these, and yet don't give up hope because there might be a hundred people of peace. there might be 50 people of peace, 30 people of peace, there might be 10 of us. Who are trying to live about peace, so still hold on to hope. be in this with us, O Holy Spirit. And so may we be people who hold on to hope. May we be people who say to the Spirit, say to the divine, say to God, don't give up on us yet. stay in this with us. We want to be blessed to be a blessing. We want to be people who respect, who refresh and who provide rest. So may we learn from the story of Genesis 18 and 19 about what it means to be hospitable people because that's what the world needs more now than ever. God of grace, God of hospitality, God of patience, God of justice, be with us as we seek to be people respect others. No matter what our differences, no matter what our histories, no matter what our votes, no matter what we have going on, may we respect people. And may God, may we provide refreshing and rest. May we be a safe place. May people put down their guard. May they put down their dukes. May they be willing to take a moment of pause, to rest, to breathe when they're around us. May we be a peaceful presence don't give up on us. May we be a change. May we be a blessing. May we be hospitable. May we be peace. Amen. So before we do the invitation of the bell and the call to worship, I wanted us to have an opportunity to get to know Katie a little bit better. So Katie, come on up to the podium there. And then I got a few questions for Katie, because I want you all to get to know Katie. So Katie, where did you grow up?
1: So I grew up uh, in Badness Heights, Wiper Lake area. So this is kind of my neck of the woods Um, and graduated from Wiper Lake High School. Just had our 20th reunion last night. Wow. It was quite amazing. Um, That's very cool. And then, yeah, I spent a lot of time at like Shoreview Community Center growing up. Um, so yeah, and I guess my background, I studied, uh, biblical and theological studies at Bethel and then went to Luther seminary where I received a master of divinity. So
0: awesome. Yeah. So you went to Bethel, you went to Luther seminary, masters of divinity, and now you've worked in churches of like, this is your second, third, fourth. I don't, I don't even know how many.
1: A few. Because a few. I, Cause I started like 20 years ago. So right. uh, yeah, a few.
0: Okay, great. The most recent one was in Badness Heights, and now you're here with us. So tell us a little bit about your passion for youth and family ministry. Why is that the area of ministry that you get excited about?
1: So I get really excited about youth ministry because kids just, they have a way of seeing God in the world that we kind of lose as adults and just the wonderings and the questions they bring. Um, That was part of the reason I actually got into youth ministry. When I was a kid, I went on a mission trip and felt called. And it was like, I saw adults, like, from other churches and from my church and just like how important it was to have them in our lives and I said I want to do that but I don't know anything so that's why I went to Bethel and I did a youth ministry degree and then ended up with a biblical and theological studies degree um, but it just keeps bringing me back because it's just kind of where it is like I guess like I know when I was in seminary people were like aren't you going to grow up and be a pastor and I'm like you know youth ministries where's that
0: I love yeah. it. I love it. That's so cool. I when I worked in Higher Ed, people would always say, "So, are you going to go be a youth pastor now?" And I was always like, "I don't that's not my calling." And so and then and then I would meet someone like you and it would be like, "See? That's their calling." And it's so wonderful. And I love that you're owning that calling and you're really investing in it. So tell us a little bit about the vision or the ideas that you have for ministry here at Peace.
1: So, I think um the biggest thing is just like being here a part of the community, like building a bigger table and like like having the kids like grow and learn and, um, you know, doing community together, like both at peace and just like the wonderful opportunities all around us. Like there's the middle school and all the different places to plug in.
0: I love that. I love that idea of building a bigger table. That's like a great theme. As you can tell from our, our picture, we, we appreciate that idea of, of the table. So finally, Katie, what is something that we should know about you that hasn't come up yet?
1: Hmm, it may have come up. I love animals, all animals. So. Any, any
0: animal in particular?
1: Oh, uh, that's hard. I have dogs probably. Okay. So, yeah.
0: Do you have a favorite when you go to the zoo?
1: Favorite animal? You know, I really like the otters. The otters. But that's probably because I went to Otter Lake Elementary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's spectacular. Okay, this is a totally selfish question and you would never ask this for yourself, so this is on me okay. if you're embarrassed. Okay. But if somebody wanted to do something nice for you by bringing you a treat or something to drink, what's your go-to in order for that to be most well-received? So like, okay. give me give for instance. This fall, I don't do pumpkin spice. I don't do the apple crisp macchiato weirdo. Like, I tried it. who got two sips into it and threw it into the bush. Um, So, not my cup of tea. What is your cup of tea?
1: You know, honestly, the, the, like, refreshers from Starbucks.
0: Okay. The refreshers from Starbucks. Okay. Now we know. Now we know. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peace the podcast.podbean.com. Again, peace the podcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.